You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Greg Company, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! Thanks for present play on this episode of the Two and Out CFL podcast with Sheldon Jones and Travis Kura. Sheldon, I gotta ask you... The Stadneck Golf Invitational happened in or near Regina, I guess, over the weekend. Uh, a lot of CFL fans from everywhere, it seems, were uh, in Saskatchewan for this. And uh, CFL fa- fans fight cancer is kind of a initiative that Two and Out has supported over the years. And it looked like there was money raised, there was fun had. When's the last time you were on a golf course? That was the first-ish time I've ever been on a real golf course. Really? Yeah. I shot, like, a front nine on a real golf course, like, maybe 15 years ago. Other than that, a few par threes. I did better than I thought, but it, <laughs> I'm not good. <laughs> what were you, a plus 46? I shot a 118. Yeah. 118, I... I was getting more sixes and sevens than nines and tens like I thought it would get. So, Hey, I think anything yeah. below 180 is a good round. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a lot of fun, though. It was uh, – they uh, they really did it well. Joe and, and Dave did a really good job setting everything up. and It was great to, great to get out on the course and have some fun. Man, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Now, uh, it was week 15 – in the CFL, and you know, going into the week, if everything went maybe the way that I thought it would go, and maybe uh, how a lot of people thought it would go, the playoff picture would be very clear and <laughs> kind of settled. But here we are, and the playoff picture is very muddy, and there's still a lot to figure out. Even though the Argos and the Bombers have clinched a playoff spot, the Argos have clinched home for the East final, but that's about all we have figured out. And the Argos, it wasn't really an easy way for them to clinch that East final, beating the Montreal Alouettes 23-20. Now, Montreal, they actually had quite the crowd out for this one. They were raucous. They were making noise. There was some guy that ran onto the field, juked out all the security guards. My favorite part is when a security guard's chasing down a guy and he throws the ball cap off. Like, that's going to reduce his drag. (laughs) (laughs) And he's going to catch this guy. Uh, But they had a rocking crowd in uh, Montreal. They just weren't able to get it done against the Argos. Uh, The Argos had the ball for almost 10 minutes less than the Owls. Like, it's just the mark of a good team when they're able to win these close games. And when you're able to learn to do that, they become a dangerous team. Yeah, and I would say this is probably Chad Kelly's, like, one of his worst games as an Argo. Like, he he looked very average out there uh, compared to how kind of elite he's looked for the rest of the season here. 
Uh, and then on the flip side, Cody actually played a really, really good second half of football. He, he was marking the field. It was kind of reminded me back of, you know, when he was with the Riders, you know, coming back against Hamilton at home. And I thought that's what was going to happen again, even, even when, like, and I was at the Rider game, obviously. So, and the over the starting, the starting times were overlapped. So yeah. I didn't get to see this. So we just found out in the stands. But when I was watching it back, like, that was a, like a magical comeback. And then just, you know, the Argos get another block, just like in the Grey Cup. Like, yeah, you love to see it. You love to see it go down to the last play there. And oh, it's great. What is with those Argos and game ending blocked kicks? Like, <laughs> like they get like six inches taller and just can reach up. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and a, a thing, this game was very chippy, I thought. Uh, it was a carryover from last week. Teams playing each other back to back. Now the Argos have beat the Owls three times in a season, and it does look well. They could. I mean, the East is going to go through. I guess we can't write off Hamilton anymore, and we can't write off Hamilton uh, earning a home playoff game at this point, which sounded crazy at one point. The Alouettes have now lost four in a row. If they're going to want to have that November home date at Percival Molson, they're going to need to pick up the socks, and they're going to need to string a couple wins together here. Uh, these teams were very physical, and there was a couple unnecessary roughnesses taken uh, as a returner or a player has stepped out of bounds, taken a hit. And the Argos here actually took 11 penalties for 97 yards, and it's kind of been uncharacteristic of them up till this point in this season. So they were able to overcome that, and the last five minutes of this game were so eventful there were a lot of things <laughs> that went down to make this game uh, what it was. And it even started with Jamal Peters taking that misconduct penalty on second down to extend Montreal's first drive. That ended in three points for the Alouettes. And that was a chirp on Austin Mack, which probably was a carryover of last week. But then Jamal Ma Peters sorry, uh, took it back at the end of the game and uh, kind of fix that early mistake. Uh, early in the game, Cody Fajardo was getting hit. He was getting uh, beat up again. Second half, they were able to make some changes. And I think some receivers for Montreal making an impact that we didn't necessarily expect. Kayon Julian Grant making his return to the lineup. Austin Mack, six catches for 45 yards, but Tyson Philpot, what a game for him. 11 targets, nine catches, 105 yards, including the touchdown in the fourth quarter that put the Alouettes ahead 20-13. to 13. To see the Canadian back onto the field making plays, it's awesome, Sheldon. Oh, yeah, and uh, he's so young that he's got so many more years. Uh, it, he's only going to get better and better as was on it, it was great Cody was just moving the ball around he was he was finding the the targets he was using his legs to run he he was doing that typical Cody I'm not gonna slide I'm gonna take the yeah. hit and get the extra yards and Cody like he's one of the toughest guys in the he league is. Like, he, he is and uh it's good to see him string some drives together it, it's it's tough that they couldn't get it done in the end because he put them in the position to to win that football game with that last second field goal. So 
hopefully they can shake it off. And because, yeah, like you said, Hamilton is right on their heels now. Yeah. Uh, Darnell Sankey even making his return to the CFL. Signed on Monday, plays for the Alouettes, gets five yeah. tackles, including a pretty violent hit on uh, on Andrew Harris. So Sankey was yeah. out there uh, making plays. But after the Alouettes went ahead 20-13, to 13, there was still a lot to happen in this game. <laughs> and... The Alouettes had a couple opportunities to ice it. They had a nine-play, 45-yard drive with about uh, five and a half minutes to go. David Cote misses the 54-yard field goal. And then the Argos come back. And this, I thought, was crazy. There's 4.48 to go. It's third and two on the Argo nine-yard line. And they went for it. Brass balls. <laughs> Brass balls. Holy. What a call. Well, what a call because they got a lucky pass interference. But, oh, man, yeah. Like, I thought they were just leaving in there to try to draw to drop her offside, and then they were going to take a timeout. And maybe Montreal thought that too. I don't know. But because that defender, he, he looked pretty flabbergasted and – Definitely deserved the penalty, but lucky that they got that call there because yeah. that, that would be game over. It was Deontay Ruffin that ended up taking the interference on that third and two. And then the Argos uh, ended up getting shut down, but you you felt a change in momentum. They went for it on third and 21. No, yeah, on the Montreal 21 because there was an unnecessary roughness that uh, pushed them back. I, I guess I don't there there was some interesting calls I thought in in this one. Uh, I, I don't think it was that one, but Coxie ended up having a touchdown called back because of an unnecessary roughness. It almost looked bang bang. Like as the catch was made, the old lineman, you know uh, yeah. I didn't know about that. That was bull. The ball it, was already like thrown, so there's nothing that that defender could have done to to change the play. Like it's it's ridiculous that that touchdown was taken off the board. Be like it was stupid that the Argo O line and did that, but it's it's again it's away from the play. It's not it's not a during the play like they said in the thing. Like it's come yeah. on, that's. Uh... They ended up getting Coxie a touchdown later, so it it, it didn't, (laughs) I guess, matter in the end. So that drive stalls at the Montreal 21, and I guess this is where the Owls kind of, they got a little bit maybe predictable and a bit conservative. And I guess this situation in games where you can't run the ball, that's when you're exposed, and yep. the Alouettes can't run it right now. Standback didn't play. They didn't really give the ball to uh, Fletcher all that much. They gave it to Antwi for a four-yard gain here. But when you can't run the ball late in these games, it gets pretty tough to ice them. Yeah. Um, Jason Moss, <laughs> that's all we can say about that. He just doesn't, for whatever reason, he, he uses play action, but he doesn't he does. run the ball that up play action. So I just don't understand how. 
his philosophy thinks that that's going to work because teens know that he's not running the ball. <laughs> uh, so, but still, in spite of that, Cody still yeah. put them in the position to win the game, which is, it just, it shows the kind of quarterback that Cody is. And then the next drive, the Argos, a two-play, 66-yard drive that ate 12 seconds off the clock. Like I said, Coxie got his touchdown, 41 yards. And uh, they clearly had seen a matchup with Ruffin that uh, they liked. There was some interference penalties. There were some big plays that uh, were allowed on his watch. Coxie gets that big touchdown. I was very happy because my fantasy team needed it. He was in my flex. I struggled in other areas of my lineup. So thanks for uh, Coxie getting that one. Now, the Alouette. Before you go, sorry. This Another former Alouette, he talked about football gods one time. (laughs) Of course, I'm talking about Darian Durant here. But this, to me, if you believe in football gods... That coaxy touchdown got taken off. He gets another big one, and they block the field goal to win. So I do believe in football gods sometimes. So I, I think they were shining down there. I think the football gods showed up for Kenny the King Lawler in uh, uh, in in that game. We'll, we'll get to that game, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so on the very next drive, again, Montreal's got a chance. A buck 41 left on the clock. It's tied at 20. Cody's been looking all right. Well, they hit Walter Fletcher for the one-yard gain. The very next play, minute three left. It's second and nine. Cody Fajardo hit as he throws. I spoke about it earlier. Jamal Peters, the early penalty, one of the easiest interceptions in his career, picks off uh, Cody Fajardo. And then the Argos kick the go-ahead field goal with 24 seconds to go only for the Owls to get the ball back. And Cody made the plays happen. 33 yards to Phil Pot, another seven yards to Cole Speaker, a 45-yard field goal blocked up the middle. Dwayne Hendricks, the Argos win. What a game. (laughs) Yeah, I felt for Cody in this one. (laughs) He he played his heart out. They thought they were going to beat the Argos. He gets sacked uh, five times. He was getting hit, but he stuck in there, made the plays. 77% uh, completion percentage, 274 yards. The touchdown, the late field goal. He did it to get him back in the field goal range. And two failed field goal attempts in the past five and a half minutes of the game. And that's what cost the Alouettes. Yeah. And it's tough too, because that pick wasn't on him. He got hit as he threw. And I I think he probably had a good chance of completing that pass because it looked like there was a a spot there for it. So it's good for Cody. He's out of the fishbowl of Regina. He can, I think he can just be a quarterback there. And uh, it's just, you feel for him because, yeah, he was walking <laughs> off the field. He, you know, he went and talked to Caleb Evans. You could see they were high-fiving, and then it's just, like, heartbreak because he came back twice. He he brought them back twice to give the the, the chance to win it, and it's just it's rough. But it was just setting the tone for this crazy, amazing week of football that we had. 
Yeah, it just shows you how good the Argos are. They make the plays they need to make. Chad Kelly didn't turn the ball over. He threw for 275 yards, 21 of 35, and that 41-yard touchdown to DeMonte Coxey. Um, Tommy Neald, he might be one of the most underrated players in the CFL. He has seven catches uh, on nine targets for 82 yards here. Uh, I don't know. Going forward, if I'm building a fantasy lineup, I might be looking Tommy Neal's way. He's been making some plays lately. Yeah, he's another one of those emerging value specials that you can just throw in your flex when you when you just have a little bit of cash left over. Yeah. Oh, I, whenever I load up these guys' profiles and I look at their uh, um, age, I start to feel extremely old. Um <laughs> <laughs> Born in 1999, uh, but it, last week against Montreal, the previous game, he had six catches for 84 yards. So he's an instant part of this offense. Uh, went to McMaster, 24 years old, 6'3", 203 pounds. Tommy Neald might be a big part of that Argo offense going down the stretch. We also saw Deontay McMahon make his debut for the Argos. This guy's got wheels. He, he yeah. might be a guy that's going to make some plays down the stretch here, especially if they're going to want to rest guys. Uh, he had two carries, 30 yards. Uh, A.J. Olette had 53 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and, hey, David Ungerer, 51 yards. Coxie, 75 yards. And then uh, the Alouettes. It's that rushing game, man. Six carries, 29 yards is what Walter Fletcher ended up getting. Tyler Sneed, three catches, 63 yards. And Austin Mack mentioned him already, 45 yards. But, yeah, there were plays there. And will the third time be a charm for the Alouettes? They're going to have to beat uh, somebody else to get to the Argos to have another shot at them uh, come November. <laughs> Riders Elks, baby. 36-27, the Edmonton Elks go to Saskatchewan almost exactly a year after the Elks beat the Riders last year. And I found that that game was a turning point for the Riders. They'd already started to dip. They had the, the flu game or whatever in the Banjo Bowl, and they got smashed. But then they had a chance, I thought, last year, to beat the Elks, they struggled stopping the run. Taylor Cornelius ran all over them. It's almost an identical formula as to what happened here. And these Elks have now outscored their opponents 34-0 in the past two fourth quarters. It's been magical fourth quarters against Saskatchewan and against Calgary. But, Sheldon, the Riders got off to a good start. It was 10-0. Pretty quickly, um, Jamal Morrow had 36 yards rushing in the first quarter. And then it all kind of fell apart for the Rough Rider offense. Yeah, it's just, well, I think offensively they actually played pretty well. The Falling whole game. apart was a little too strong, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> defense <laughs> was where the, the problem the was. Yeah, the defense completely fell apart. Like, the defense was the strength of our team. And especially when Harris went down, that's who you thought that the defense would continue to do that. But 
I've been really disappointed with Jason Shiver's defense. Uh, even in the BC game, like the way that the offense was rolling, there's no way that it should have been as close as it was in the end with BC coming back. Um, they they looked awesome in Labor Day. They, but then Bangible, we all know what happened. It's but Sheldon. Yeah. This happened last year too, right? During the summer, yes. the the Riders had a championship level defense, and then September came, and especially after the Banjo Bowl and Labor Day, they 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 fell apart, and they couldn't stop the run, and they couldn't stop the run here. Kevin Brown, nineteen carries, one hundred and seventy five yards, over nine yards a carry, and look, yeah. credit to Jarius Jackson. Credit to Trey Ford for opening up the holes for Kevin Brown. Uh, I was reading the recap from uh, Andrew from the Turf District on 3downnation.com. Kevin Brown now has um, over 1,000 yards on the season. Over 600 of those have come in the six games that Trey Ford has started. (laughs) The previous eight games, they couldn't run it at all. But now, Trey, Double J, getting it done for the Elks offense. Yeah, it's just, it it was ridiculous sitting in the the stands and seeing just uh, Trey Ford just running around like Michael Vick, finding Eugene Lewis down the field. He's impressive, isn't he? Yeah, like, like, I like watching the games when when they're not playing the Riders because I can actually (laughs) be happy when he does that stuff, but I'm just losing my mind. Full disclosure, there was like a, water leak situation at the queue so in the second quarter i was on the phone miss i missed like a lot of it but oh, i thought you meant right now <laughs> oh no 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 <laughs> but uh like it was but it was a fun game it, it still was a fun game because yeah, the rider offense was matching it and they were well actually no, not matching they were setting the tone early on and then it's just just a meltdown you like, know what i kind of I kind of crapped on the offense, but uh, for the Riders. But Jake Dolagala had a he had a decent game. You would have liked the completion percentage to be better. He's twenty of thirty four, yeah. three touchdowns, and then the one interception that should have been caught by Samuel Emelis. It's one of those interceptions where what? <laughs> yeah, it was like that uh, that uh, Ryan Smith catch in yeah. the yeah. <laughs> that when he was with the Bombers. Like it's just happened to be there but then even Revis's pick was kind of the same deal off of Kevin Brown's hands yeah yeah so so that kind of evens itself out there but but Delegala like he looked good he hit when he hit uh he hit Sean Bain for that first touchdown and then later on he got uh Jones made that awesome move when he caught the ball great play he made yeah the, the defender there and like so his receivers were helping him out when he was on on target there, and and Morrow had a really good game. Like it's just if the offense and the defense can string it together, the Riders can beat anybody. Like it's this season has proved any team can beat anybody. We're gonna talk about That's what happened true. next game. Um, the next and, two games were that close. Yeah, two games. yeah. <laughs> and it's just. But it's just so frustrating when you're there and you just you can't see them put it together. It's like I don't think anyone can say that Edmonton is a bad team anymore. 
like they're they're on the uptick and it's just it's got to be frustrating for Elks fans just wondering what this could have been if they would have done this change in week two or three since Trey Ford came in it's Winnipeg Toronto Edmonton even BC has has had off and on sort of inconsistencies here. They lost okay. to Saskatchewan. They lost to Hamilton. So, oh, if, uh, if I was doing power crazy. rankings, if I was doing power rankings, Edmonton's probably number two right now. Like, wild. Yeah, Toronto would be number one. Edmonton would be number two, and you could make a case for Hamilton being number three. You could. <laughs> Well, Who how much changes after the Bombers beat the Riders by six scores, and then all well, of a sudden, ah, they suck again. No. <laughs> well, there's the handy. That's the bangeable three-scored handicap that's yeah. there. <laughs> and that look, anytime AC Leonard is on the field, defense has got to pay attention now, don't they? Um, The Taylor Cornelius AC Leonard connection might be the most dangerous connection in the CFL. That's how the uh, Elks got their first touchdown uh, on the board. Uh, Trey Ford's only passing touchdown on the day. And, oh no, that was from Cornelius. Sorry. Uh, Trey Ford's went to Gino in the fourth quarter. Gino and Trey, I guess combined their Mr. Fourth quarter and Lake Corte Moore had a shot at Trey, and I thought he had another shot at Trey. It also looked like Nick Marshall kind of let up a little bit on the play, which you cannot do. I don't know if he expected Trey to take off, but that was uh, something you can't do either. No, and Marshall has that habit where he likes to try to bait the quarterbacks in by playing off, and then he gets burnt. Uh he hasn't had as bad of a season as he did last year, so it's, it's, good year. it's hard to harp on that. But the, actually, the, the Riders' defense was doing a decent job of like bending but not breaking earlier on. They, they kept they made Trey contained in the first half. Yeah, it's just they got they got tired. I don't know if they maybe should have switched up who was spying because I, I think they had tight spying most of the game and when they were spying, because they obviously weren't spying all the time. No. Uh, but That touchdown that Trey scored in the uh, fourth quarter, rushing, uh, it looked like nobody was on him, really, which kind of just seems like a glaring mistake. Yeah. Uh, I, don't know, I, I don't know what more to say. Like, it's just Edmonton, they did what they needed to do on the road, and uh, the Riders got to flush it. They got to come back, and I don't know, like Edmonton, I know the Riders have the the tiebreaker against Edmonton, so at least that adds them or keeps them ahead of them by one game because of the season series there, but um, I could see Edmonton taking that final playoff spot in the in the West, and maybe the Riders are hoping for a crossover, who knows. Trey Ford uh, on the next drive when he hit Geno for the touchdown, another 38-yard completion to Geno into double coverage, which is like, yep, 
all hail Gino. Yeah. That drive ended in a uh, uh, Trey Ford rushing touchdown. So it was two consecutive drives. Actually, if you look at the drive chart, it, it's just not pretty for, well, it's pretty for Elks fans, uh, but for the Ryder defense, uh, the end of the game, it, it wasn't good. In the, in the third quarter for the Elks, it starts with a field goal and then three consecutive touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, shout out to Jake Julian for the uh, uh, touchdown that pinned the Riders at their own four yard line. And the next play, Sam Achimpong and uh, Jake Serezna combined to get uh, Jake Dolagala to take the safety. And the Riders, much like Calgary last week, I thought went very conservative. And the Elks, this ended up being their best performance stopping the run. But I thought the Riders, after they got stuffed in the second and third quarter, about three consecutive rushing plays, they stopped running altogether. And uh, Dola Gala picked up, and he, he did all right. But there was a moment late in the game where Jamal Morrow had an eight-yard gain, and then they had a second and two, Short pass to Sean Bain, and next thing you know, they're punting. And at that moment, the the game was tied, 27-27. So it felt like they went late in the game a little too safe and a little too, well, predictable, really. I, I don't know why they got away from running the ball against the team that had struggled uh, limiting the run at this point. But Trey Ford is, is magic with the Elks, and uh, he's 173 yards passing, but the plays that they make are explosive. And they're second in the biggest plays next to Winnipeg. They just make the plays that need to be made. And in the past, the defense wasn't making those plays. Well, now they are. And they're a dangerous team to watch down the stretch. I will say this. Calgary was on by. I'm not so sure if it's smart to forget about the Stampeders who have a game in hand with the Elks. They won the season series with the Elks and they can win the season series with the Rough Riders in a game next month. Obviously the Riders can win that season series too. That's a pivotal game uh, going down the stretch here. Those, uh, uh, writing them off, I just don't know about it. And now it doesn't look like there's going to be a crossover with the way, well, Montreal could fall apart. Who knows? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm done predicting this stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, I know. Calgary, they're, they're better than the record shows now. I think earlier in the season they were what their record showed, but Mayer has picked it up and uh, he's he's – Kind of working through those growing pains that he had this year. Um, I, I think right now, still Edmonton is trending better than Calgary, but um, yeah, honestly, like it's cool that Winnipeg and Toronto have clinched playoffs, and that's fine. But it's it's a lot better for us fans when everything is going to go down to the wire. So I I'm here for all four games and or all yeah all four games in the last season or the last week of the season having playoff implications let's 
let's have chaos. Let's let's just enjoy this ride because I can't remember a, a CFL season that's been this crazy yet enjoyable. Now, <laughs> the Hall of Fame game in the hammer. Congratulations to the uh, inductees and to the 2023 class of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And the Ticats beat the Bombers 29-23. Now, it's funny how things change. In July, we were all so quick to talk about the quarterback talent being trash in the CFL. There's nobody to look forward to. All of a sudden... Next year, now, it might not play off this way, but Taylor Powell, Dustin Crum, Trey Ford, Jake Dolagala could all be starters. They could be. And with a full training camp and a playbook built for them, I think the sky's the limit for these guys. When I was watching the Elks and the Riders, if those quarterbacks are on their respective teams for the next five years, I'm looking forward to Elks Riders for the next half decade. I think we got some exciting stuff to watch going forward. And how Taylor Powell performed against the Bombers, Scott Milanovic, and they didn't even get James Butler going. I thought if they can't get Butler rolling, they don't have a shot at beating the Bombers. They gave him 22 carries, but 3.7 yards a carry. The Bombers were good against the run. Uh-huh. Now, look at this drive chart for the Ticats. Field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown. Their first punt didn't come until 90 seconds left in the second quarter. To do that against the Bombers, that's impressive. Well, that's the formula. You need to start strong and you need to, to score points early against them. And it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I was sitting at the rider game uh, with Alex and I was, we were kind of talking about maybe who could possibly be the head coach next year for the riders mm. if they moved on from Craig Dickinson. And, and I suggested Milanovic and he's like, Oh no, I think like they're obviously going to get rid of, Steinhauer, but if Hamilton keeps stringing these wins along, like Steinhauer might get extended, and then maybe maybe Milanovic gets freed up. But it's like you said, we can't we can't pick it anymore. Like I I was one off the lead in Rider fans pick them, and now I just went two and four this week, and so <laughs> uh, yeah, it's but it, what a great game! Like like this game was just amazing because. You had everything. You had offense. You had defense. You, it was fun. I I think the Bombers arrived in their bye week a week early. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's what it seemed like to me. And I, I did say to Ty on on last week's episode: uh, Are the Bombers going to have an emotional kind of hangover from Labor Day and the Banjo Bowl? And I guess one of the underrated stats is that the Bombers haven't won in Hamilton other than the 2021 Grey Cup, since 2017. So they just struggle there. Uh, And they looked flat. They didn't, well, and I shouldn't say that. I wasn't a fan of Winnipeg's play calling in this one. It felt like they were 
forcing it down the field when they didn't really need to. And look, some of it worked. Let's be real. Nick Dembski, 137 yards. He had a 56-yard play. Dalton Schoen, 110 yards. So they were making plays, but it felt constant. It didn't feel like they were picking their shot, and it cost Zach three interceptions in this one. It felt like they were forcing it a little bit. Yeah. Um, when you beat a team as bad as the, the Bombers beat the Riders, and then you're playing a, a weaker team, there's always, there's always the possibility of a trap game. And I, I just didn't think that Winnipeg would actually succumb to that. Um, but because O'Shea, I didn't think he would let them, you know, underestimate Hamilton. But yeah, Zach, he was forcing the ball for sure. But it's just Hamilton, they're, they're clicking it just the same as Edmonton. They, you you build off the momentum of knocking off BC in BC when they're supposed to be in the top tier of the league and everyone writes you off. And, and then I you go to Ottawa. Beat two of the top dogs, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and then you go into Ottawa in a short week after traveling and you knock them off. Yeah. And it's like nobody thought that Hamilton would beat Ottawa. And it, they got three in a row now. And it's it's making the East very interesting. That game next week, Stampeders coming off the bye, playing the Ticats, I think that's going to be a very interesting matchup here. Uh, Early in this game, the uh, Bombers hit Dembski for a touchdown, and Sergio misses the point after. (laughs) Tyreek McAllister returns it 120 yards for a two-point conversion. So a three-point swing there. Uh, You don't see many 120-yard two-pointers in the CFL, but you love to see it. Uh, 12-6 tie cats at that point, but they keep rolling. Uh, They they get a field goal from Legio, and then the Bombers, they're down 15-6. They keep punching them with the big play. Big play. Kenny the King gets his touchdown after having that incomplete pass. What did you think about that incomplete call? And I think we saw a couple of them this week where the ball's trapped and it didn't seem to me like the ground helped them um, make the catch, but it touched the ground and it was ruled incomplete. It ended up not mattering because the next play was a touchdown to Kenny the King, but he was pretty yeah. fired up and it looked like he was close to oh, taking yeah. a penalty too. Yeah, I thought he was going to take a yeah. penalty, yeah. Um, I thought that the ball could touch as long as you have it secured. Me too. It just the ball can't, you know, it can't move and then you secure it. So, like, if you have your two hands on the ball – and it touches the ground, You, it's still a catch. Um, yeah, I don't know. But, again, it didn't matter because he, yeah. he scored it. But it's, I, I like to rag on the officials. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it sometimes it is hard because you it's bang, bang. But when you're reviewing it, you would think that there's some common sense in there. But reviews are all over the place and Hopefully that's one of the things that the league can work on fixing to get some some continuity yeah. uh, in the review system so that we we don't have to bitch about this all the time. Yeah. Uh, the very next play, 
Uh, Hamilton, 10 plays, 78 yards, and another touchdown. So Ooh. they were just moving the ball at will. Taylor Powell, they, they were moving him. Uh, and I know Jackson Jeffcoat not playing was a factor for the Bombers, but Powell just looked darn good. And I, yeah. I think the Ticats have reason, Ticat fans have reason to be very happy. I know a few weeks ago, <laughs> let's fire Steinauer. Well, and the, the opposite in Saskatchewan after Labor Day, <laughs> back the dump truck up, let's extend Dickinson now. <laughs> Fire him. Yeah, how'd, how'd that look in Banjo Bowl there, buddy? I guess maybe we should stop with the crazy statements until after the last week of the season. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> Those Ticats were just moving the ball whenever they wanted. I, the, the Bombers tightened up on defense, I thought, in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um but, I mean, when the D lineman, Malik Carney, is getting an interception, although Powell threw an interception in the end zone on the next drive, I also thought that Simone's interception should have counted. I didn't think that the ground helped them catch that either. Another thing no. where uh, yeah. we, uh, we've we been talking about. But, now, <laughs> this is a fascinating, I think, discussion. Most outstanding Canadian in 2023. I think, I think it's Brady Oliveira. Yeah. Leading rusher in the CFL. He's looking like a monster. Of course, Nick Dembski deserves to be recognized. They're both on the same team. Trey Ford deserves to be recognized, even though he hasn't played all season. But who's the East? I've, I've been seeing rumblings. Stavros, Katz, and Tonus. I love bringing up this guy. He had a sack in this one, which I almost thought they were going to call roughing the passer because he was quite quite low. Uh, He did have an interception in this one. I think it's a wide-open race for MOC in the East. Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah, because nothing really jumps out at the page. There's not... There's no real star players like the, you know, the typical Enoch Mwamba or anybody like that yeah. who's going to yeah. be the perennial candidate there. So we can't forget about uh, what's his face in BC too. He started off crazy. Right. Uh, bets. Yeah, bets. Yeah, he slowed down. But uh, yeah, like I think Trey Ford might get a little bit extra consideration just because he is the quarterback, right? That always and happens. Whether. Yeah. Whether that's right or not, uh, I'm not going to comment on that because it's pretty outstanding what he's done with what he's been given and when he's actually been playing. So, uh, But I do think that Oliveira is, is running away with it, kind of, literally, in the, in the West. <laughs> it, was, it was funny because I, I wrote on the sheet here, uh, Ticats had zero effectiveness on the ground until there was about a minute left and they're trying to ice the game. Second and 12, they give it to Butler. He gets 11 and a half yards. They sneak it on third and inches and they kind of uh, end the game there. So uh, they got it done when they needed to get it done. They were messing around with their depth charts a little bit. They, they, they listed um, uh, Joe Figueroa as the fifth string fullback. <laughs> Brandon okay. Revenberg plays left tackle for like a play. Figueroa comes back out. Like there was a bunch of crazy stuff the Ticats were doing there. But uh, that is a massive win. 
that can't be understated. They are now tied with the Alouettes, six and seven, and these two teams play the final week of the regular season. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the Owls' schedule, and it's looking pretty tough. Uh, They've got Calgary coming up. Calgary's got Hamilton the next week. Montreal's got Ottawa twice. So I, and I'm not going to write off Ottawa. They're not getting smashed. No. <laughs> Montreal's got the Elks. Whew, man, this, this is going to come right down uh, to the wire in the CFL. Uh, Terry Godwin had a touchdown early in the game for the Ticats, 61 yards. Tim White had 55 yards. He also had a 52-yard rush. Um, Omar Bayless had 49 yards receiving. And it's Taylor Powell, 20 of 26, 236 yards, the touchdown and the pick. If you look at the Bombers, already gave a shout-out to Schoen and Dembski. Uh, but Brady Oliveira, it was quiet for him. So I was talking about rush or uh, – forcing the ball a little bit. He only had nine carries and 46 yards. So uh, giving him a light workload, I would say, heading into the into the bye week. Yeah, and why can't Dembski do that when he's on my fantasy lineup? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'd like to know. I think, Especially when he's I think, supposed to do it against the Riders, which he always does. And... I don't <laughs> know if the Bombers are expecting Janarian Grant back in the next few weeks, he's been poking around practice, but that has been a weakness of their team. They uh, haven't been able to get the returns that they need, working with long fields, things like that. And on the other end, Tyreek McAllister was making things uh, difficult for the Bombers. So if they get Janarian Grant back, that'll help those Bombers going down the stretch. Now we get the final game of week 15. Week 15, game 68, Sheldon. So you know what the first game of week 16 is going to be. Uh, The BC Lions beat the Ottawa Red Blacks (laughs) 41-37. The Lions put up 23 points in the fourth quarter to make this happen. That's all you need to know. They were trailing by 16. Now, normally, <laughs> you think trailing by 16, what did they do? Did they get, uh, you know, two touchdowns and two-point conversions? It was not one of those run-of-the-mill standard comebacks you see. What wow. a game here because it didn't look like the Lions were going to come back at all, Sheldon. No, they're struggling, and then, like, it's Vernon Adams just turned on the gas, and you know what? Like, I know this is not going to happen, but give me Vernon Adams versus Trey Ford in the Grey Cup. Like, give me that. In in BC Place, where they they have good position. (laughs) But, no, like, he he shook off some, some poor decisions, and he he just made Ottawa pay, and I don't. Ottawa went super conservative too, and they did. Like I feel for Ottawa fans because like they're they're feeling what the Elks have been feeling all this time, and 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 Crum had a pretty good game. Like he he 
he was slow for a few games there because I think the teams were figuring him out, but he, he was able to get in space and get into the end zone. And it's just, that's demoralizing. We, especially like on the road when you're playing against the top team and you have them and then you just let them come back and crap the bed. It's just sad, but really fun for us to watch. <laughs> I think that has to be a concerning thing for Lions fans. Um, their last home game, they came out quite flat and the Ticats beat them 30 yep. to 13. Then the Lions went to Montreal and they got the win, 34-25. Then they're on bye and they come out at home quite flat. Uh, Ottawa came out and they were ready to go. They they had a 6-1 lead. And man, I had VA on my team. Keon Hatcher is my leading receiver. And... This will never happen. I wish my receivers got credit for the pass interferences that happened. <laughs> if you caught that we ball, should. it's a touchdown. Yeah. yeah. But the PI uh, takes the uh, Lions to the one-yard line, and uh, th- they end up taking the lead there, 8-6. But Crum was steady. I mean, the next... Next drive, it was 11 plays, 75 yards. And the Lions, they still answered back there. Justin McKinnis, by the way, he got that first touchdown to put the Lions back up 15-6 to in the first half. And Justin McKinnis, who the Riders let go for nothing, went to free agency basically, uh, 12 targets, 8 catches, 118 yards, Two touchdowns. One of the touchdowns he's interfered with. A critical catch he made late in the game who kept the tip of his toe inbounds. What an incredible game from Justin McInnes. Yeah. Uh, I wish he was still a rider. <laughs> uh, but they, they had a depth, a wealth of, of depth that Canadian receivers. So I can understand maybe... I don't know if it was them who wanted to move on or if it's Justin, uh, but yeah, no, he's he's quietly like maybe maybe now with you know that's cooling off, maybe he's going to be the outstanding Canadian nominee for the Lions there because he's he's had a really good second half of the season, or well, sorry, middle third, I guess, of the season. Yeah, yeah, and this is when uh, Dustin Crum just starts to get. To get rolling, it was it was steady, and to the Red Blacks defense credit, they were forcing, and Vernon Adams Jr. getting the happy feet, forcing the ball in there, throwing across his body through the interceptions, and Crum just kept chipping away, keep making the plays happen. It was eighteen uh, sixteen uh, for the Lions, and then the next drive, Dustin Crum ends up finishing it off with a five-yard rushing touchdown. He, how do you not like this guy? He's out there throwing blocks. He's, (laughs) I'd hate to be him or feel like him after a game, but he's one of the most physical quarterbacks I've ever seen, 
And yeah, he had three rushing touchdowns, nine carries, 46 yards. And like I said, throwing blocks out there. When your quarterback does that, you love to see it, man. Oh, yeah. And the team, his teammates will rally for that. And nothing but good thing. Well, I guess he could get injured, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, he's. It, he's finding his magic that he had in the first few games that he was in there with his comeback. So yeah, hopefully for Ottawa's sake that they can maintain that, but they have a lot of work to do if they're going to try to get back into that playoff picture. Oh, and the, they hit Marcus sales through on uh, uh Shaq Evans. And I don't know if sales got hurt on that one. He had to leave the game later on, but Shaq Evans, uh, Helmet flew into the first row, basically. So, uh, and he's getting more involved in that Red Blacks mm-hmm. offense as well. But in the second half, well, and it still took another quarter and a half for the Lions to get really going. But they made an adjustment with their defense that made it a lot tougher for Williams to run the ball, and that was mm-hmm. the change here. Um, he couldn't run it, and for. Ottawa's credit, BC couldn't run it. Take one, Mizell, five carries for 13 yards. That's another thing that the Lions are going to want to improve going down the stretch here. Look at the time of possession. The Red Blacks had the ball for over 39 minutes of this game and still lost. Like I said, an absolute heartbreaker here so we gotta rewind or fast forward all the way to the fourth quarter the ottawa red blacks had a 36 18 lead at one point (laughs) 36 18 early in the fourth quarter the lions kick a field goal they're down 16 but this is when it really falls apart for the ottawa offense they gained Four yards in the fourth quarter, including three drives where they went backwards. Their first possession in the fourth, minus 14 yards. (laughs) There was a five-yard loss on uh, the rushing play. They took a time count penalty. They took a procedure penalty. (laughs) And then their next drive uh they had a minus 10 yard possession they had a minus four yard possession so the lions defense they picked it up even though they gave up 37 points what they did in the fourth quarter was a big part of that comeback well it was and then ottawa they they were playing not to lose instead of playing to win and you can't do that against a team like BC with all the, the weapons that they have because you're just getting your own defense tired because you're going two and out, two and out, two and out. Good for our show. Not good for... <laughs> not Thanks good for, for the, the advertising. Yeah. Not good for the the Red Blacks defense because they're just getting tired out there. And especially that's when Vernon started running around and he found his receivers and... and, and BC, they played to win. When they got down there at the end there, they could have just kicked the field goal to tie, I believe, right? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But they 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 went for the touchdown at the end there, right? And so yep. it's just difference between playing to win and playing not to lose. And 
in professional football, you just you have to play to win. Well, what did you think about the uh, decision with about 10 minutes left in the game? The Lions go for it on third and eight, and it was on the Ottawa 18-yard line, and they're down 16. So 16, you need two touchdowns. You need the two points twice. So it's not always a given. The field goal, I mean, I guess you could go either way, and it did work out for the Lions. And then on the next yeah. next drive, and I think maybe that just showed confidence in the defense that they were going to get the job done that they needed to do in the fourth quarter. And they did uh, get it done in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but BC gets the ball back, and there's an interception to Damon Webb. So it took them a while to really get rolling here. It wasn't until four minutes left in the game when they finally uh, get the ball back. They drive 62 yards. They score a touchdown. Now they they mess up the two-point conversion. <laughs> They're down 10, okay? Ottawa gets the ball back, 2.20 to go. And they try, and this was after an onside kick, they try the long field goal. And that might be the famous last words because a lot of times if you miss those long field goals, it doesn't end well. So Lewis Ward tries the 50-yarder with 149 to go, up 10. And this is when the magic happens. Terry Williams... (laughs) takes the ball 120 yards, scores the touchdown. Now the Red Blacks are up three with 125 to go. And they go back four yards. (laughs) The Lions get the ball back. And the next drive, Lucky Whitehead, 16-yard touchdown. Lions win 41-37. How quickly that happened. A lot of things had to go right, but that missed field goal, the long one, a critical mistake by the Red Blacks. Would you have punted in that situation? Yeah, I would have for sure. You hem you hem them in deep. Uh but the Lions offense was rolling there, so I do I understand. And Lewis Ward is pretty reliable. Like he's he's probably one of the I'd probably have Paredes. I don't know about Lowther this year, uh, but he's Ward's usually going to hit probably eight out of ten times. He's going to hit that fifty-four yarder. So I think the odds are okay there. But like you said, if you miss it, the, there's so much wide field, and it's not like your normal uh, punt cover team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you you got those alignment who are blocking there and the field goal and they got to run down there and it's it's just chaotic uh but credit to williams he yep he took it to the house and he like uh i i would have loved to be there for that 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 atmosphere was just crazy you know always those comebacks are always great to, to hey, watch a lot of people left Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I uh, saw a lot of people leave Commonwealth Stadium when the Elks came back to beat the Stampeders a couple of weeks ago, too. 
Uh, It doesn't get said much in the CFL anymore. No lead safe, baby. No lead safe. Now, four letters. (laughs) We talk about the Elks and the Stampeders and the Ticats and the Alouettes fighting for playoff spots. Well, Sheldon, first in the West is a two-way battle between uh, the Bombers and the Lions. And the Lions have a game in hand, and these two teams play over Thanksgiving at BC Place. They're calling it the Gravy Bowl. They're really making an event out of this Thanksgiving at BC Place. Another game to circle on our calendars. Uh, <laughs> We got a lot to look forward to before the playoffs, man. And yeah. I get the feeling that the bomber is going to come back from the buy on fire, but this is not locked up by any means. Uh, my fantasy team this week, 97 and a half points. Um, my Brady Oliveira, 4.6 points. Keon Hatcher, three points. So uh, that brought me down a little bit. Um, Close to a hundred, so I'm okay with that. What were you looking like this week? Uh, full disclosure, I honestly don't even know. Oh. Uh, I had, sorry, I had the, the you know the golf tournament and everything. You better. I, I I wasn't really uh, paying attention too much, but uh, I I think I ended around eighty five or eighty six points. So, what's your uh, username? It'd just be Sheldon Jones eighty three, I think. Sheldon Jones eighty three. You had one hundred and thirteen points, you liar! <laughs> oh. I'll take it, man. You had a pretty darn good line. Chad Kelly thirty one point six. Jamal Morrow thirteen point one. AJ Olette fourteen point four. Geno Lewis seventeen point four. Kenny the King Lawler thirteen point one. And Lucky Whitehead. 20.7. Sheldon Jones underselling wow. himself once again. Somebody recognized you as a CFL podcast celebrity at Mosaic Stadium. And here you are just underselling yourself on the pod. That, that really felt great. Shout out to Tyson. <laughs> that, that, was, that was awesome. Oh, deep breath. Week 15 of the CFL season is in the books. And we got a long, well, not too long, but we got lots of fun still to have before the 110th Grey Cup in the Hammer. Sheldon Jones, thanks for being here. I'll probably talk to you on Wednesday as we get everybody and myself and yourself ready for Week 16 of the CFL season. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 